You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. All right, well, hello, Grace Family Church. My name is Hal Mayer. I am the discipleship pastor here at Grace Family Church, and I'm excited that you decided to join us this weekend. So I'd just like to welcome all of you in this room, all of you that are watching online, of course, at all of our seven campuses, as we continue in our series, Origin Stories. And here's what we're doing with Origin Stories. We are taking Old Testament heroes, Old Testament characters, and we're just learning from their lives, what they did. Because I think what can happen many times, and, and I hear people say this, and I don't want you to do this, is, is you hear about characters from the Old Testament and people go, well, just put yourself in their shoes. Or, you know, I heard a pastor one time say, you're just like David against Goliath. No, I'm not. I'm not a teenage kid going up against a giant to save my people from enslavement. That's not me. I'm not there. But here's what we can do. We can look at David's life. We can look at what he walked through. We can look at the principles that led to him following after God and we can copy those things. And that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look into the life of a guy named Nehemiah. And I feel like I'm doing a little bit of an injustice doing Nehemiah in a week because Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah is filled. It is filled with leadership lessons. It's filled with just lessons on legacy and how to live your lives. And so I would, I would just I ask you to do this. After this message, this upcoming week, the next couple of weeks, take some time and walk through Nehemiah. It is just a book of the Bible that is filled with incredible leadership lessons on how to live a legacy and how to leave a legacy. Let me just say this about Nehemiah. Here's why I, I like teaching on him is because Nehemiah is just a regular guy. He, he's not a professional Christian, meaning he's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He, he's not in the professional side of Christianity. He's a regular guy that's in a situation that he probably doesn't want to be in, yet God decided to use him in a moment. See, Nehemiah was not in a job that he expected to be in. In fact, it was a job that he just hoped to be able to work up to because his people at that time were enslaved by the Babylonians. In fact, 141 years before that, his people were enslaved by the Babylonians. And so he kind of worked himself up to the best position he could be in, which was cupbearer for the king. Now, if you don't know what the cupbearer for the king was, it sounds good at first. He got to taste all the wine that the king was going to drink which sounds good, but the reason he was tasting the wine was not to see if it was good wine, it was to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So it was like a good job, really bad job. It's good for a moment, then it can go really bad. And so Nehemiah's in this position, he is the cup pair, and what Nehemiah is trying to figure out is what does God have for him? Because up to that point, he's just doing a job, and I know we can feel that way sometimes. Sometimes we're, we're in a season, we're in a place of life, we're going, I don't know why I'm here or what I'm doing, but what we find out very quickly is God has us exactly where we ought to be. And if we're looking to leave a legacy, the question that we've always gotta ask ourselves is this, is how do I stay in the middle how do I stay in the center of what God is doing? How do I stay in the center of what God is doing? And what is about to happen is this, is Nehemiah is about to hear a story. He's about to hear something about his past, something about his people that he's heard before. But what God does differently in this moment is he opens up his eyes to something new and he opens up his heart to what God could do. So we see this happen in Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah has some friends come to visit him and this is what they say in verse three and four. They said, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are, they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, this is Nehemiah speaking, it says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Now this sounds like, hey, I just heard my city was, was taken down, that the walls have been burned down and, and things aren't going well. It makes sense to mourn about this. 
But this isn't new news. Basically what they're telling him in this moment is this is still happening. This happened 141 years ago. Like this is a weird reaction to something that happened 141 years ago. It's like if you were to come up to me and say, Hal, did you know that 141 years ago, President Garfield was assassinated and immediately I fell down on the ground crying and going, why did God allow this to happen? Some of you are like, wait a second, Garfield's a cat. He, he was also president, James. It did happen, and he was assassinated 141 years ago, which is history at this point. But what happened in this moment was something that happens in our lives sometimes, where we're walking around when we're in our same neighborhoods, on our same drive to work, in our same regular lives, and all of a sudden, God shows us something. God reveals something to us. God shows us something in a different light, and all of a sudden, we realize there's something different that needs to happen. God breaks our heart for some people that maybe we didn't know before, that we didn't see before, and we have something to do in that moment. And here's the hard part, is when God shows you something new, when God breaks your heart, when God changed your mind, we have the ability to run away from it or run to it. We have the ability to, to medicate it or to, to focus on entertainment and work, or we have the ability to step into what God has for us. See, what Nehemiah did in that moment when he was overwhelmed, he was overwhelmed by grief. Instead of running away from it, he went to the only one that could do something about it, and that was God. See, Nehemiah knew in that moment the only person he could go to was God. And what Nehemiah did in that moment is the same thing we must do if we want to leave a legacy that matters. He did this. He prayed and he planned. He prayed and he planned. That's what we ought to do. We pray and we plan. See, what's so incredible about Nehemiah in this moment was you don't see him just complaining about the situation. You don't see him going, oh, this is just impossible. You don't see him writing a blog post or an Instagram post, virtual signaling that you know, he cares about this. What does he do? Immediately, what he does first is he prays. And you actually see in the book of Nehemiah, 14 different prayers because Nehemiah was a prayer. And we see his prayer in verse five. It says this. It says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. See, he starts off going, this is who God is. He is this kind of God. He says, look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. He's going, hey, I understand the situation that we're in right now it's our fault. We messed up. We did the wrong things. God, I understand we messed up, but, but he says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you were unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. It says, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. See, if you just read that prayer, you think, oh, he just prayed one prayer. Actually, what we learn is this, is Nehemiah prayed and fasted for three to four months. Prayed and fasted for three to four months. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like God put something on my heart and I pray and I fast about it for a week and nothing happens. I go, well, maybe it's not God. But he prays and he fasts for three to four months. God breaks his heart. He reveals new things to him. Nehemiah starts to plan about what God could do if the right things happen. And then he goes in front of the king and the king, he has provided a moment in front of the king that God, only God could do that he didn't expect. See, Nehemiah goes in front of the king because he is so overwhelmed, because he's so overwhelmed, he is sad in front of the king. 
which doesn't sound like a bad deal, but the king does not want them to be sad in front of him. In fact, it was a sign of disrespect to be sad in front of the king. And what could happen is if you do that in front of the king, he could just have you killed. On top of that, the king is with his wife and the last thing you wanna do is disrespect a man in front of his woman. And so he is in front of the king. He is in front of the king's wife and he comes in and he is sad. And the king goes, hey, Nehemiah, why are you so incredibly sad? And in that moment, Nehemiah realized and he was terrified of what may happen. Because you know what, I'm gonna tell the king. And he says, you know what, king, this is what's going on. I, I, my, my, my town is in shambles. The wall is down. I, I, my heart is broken over it. And the king responds, well, what do you need? He actually says, how much time do you need? And Nehemiah asked for 12 years of paid time off. Some of you are like, okay, I could do three to four months of prayer and fasting. 12 years time off. I mean, imagine that, going to your boss. Hey boss, I need 12 years off. Okay, you can just leave. <laughs> no, no, I want you to continue to pay me. Is that all? No, 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 actually, so here's the other side. I need resources. See, we need to rebuild the gates. We need to rebuild uh, the temple. And on top of that, I'm gonna be there for 12 years. So I need my own place. So I need you to give me enough lumber to build all those things. And I don't want just the regular lumber. I want the king's lumber from his reserve. And on top of that, since we're gonna be bringing all this lumber, they're gonna wanna attack us. So I need you to take your army, you know, your army that's protecting you. I need you to take your army and protect me as I go to that place that you already conquered to rebuild it. And on top of that, I need you to give me some decrees that I can take to the different people that I go along the way to tell you that you changed your foreign policy. Because 13 years ago, it actually says in the book of Ezra that this was asked of the king and the king says no. So he's changed his mind and Nehemiah wants to make sure they know. I mean, imagine asking all of this to a king. And this is King Artaxerxes. This is not a man who came to his throne just the right way. He actually killed his brother to get there. Great guy. Like, like he's put down many insurrections. Yet this is what Nehemiah goes to him and the king says, okay, I will give you those things. Why? Because Nehemiah did two things. He prayed and he planned. See, most of the time I think we're either one or the other. We're prayers or planners, right? We're either a prayer or a planner. We tend to marry the opposite. And we're either a prayer where we just go throughout life. We're going, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. And we try to stay in the center of what God is doing, or we are a planner. Some of you in here are planners. The idea of working an Excel spreadsheet just makes you happy right now. Like you just smile when I said Excel. Like you have already planned your life and everybody around you's life. You're just waiting for them to ask you. Like I've got it figured out. You have prayers and you have planners and usually we are one or the other. The problem is, is this, is we need to be both because if all we do is just pray and we don't plan, when God says move, we're not ready for it. But if we're just a planner, we may have everything ready, but we don't know when God's gonna move. And why is it important to know when God's gonna move? Because only God could do what he just did. So what did God do? God calls a king, he used a king that doesn't even believe in him to fund his miracle. He used a king that doesn't even believe in him to do his work. Why? Because Nehemiah did both. He prayed and he planned. But I've got to ask you this question. Let's say you pray and let's say you, you plan. Are you pray, praying and planning with the capacity of God in mind or your own capacity? When you pray and when you plan, do you think about something that you could pull off or something that God could? So what happens in this moment is Nehemiah, he prays and he plans. God pulls off a miracle. He, he goes, this is what's gonna happen. I've given you the resources. I've given you the ability. You're gonna get to go back. You're gonna have 12 years of PTO on top of it. You have the ability to do these things. And what is great in that moment is there's a lot of happiness because God provided the resources. What is tough is he still have to do it. 
I think a lot of times we can get caught up in the, the beginning part of what God is doing, the beginning part and the excitement of the fact that God is moving and God's called us to something, but we forget that there's a second part. See, the second part's the tough part. This is what Nehemiah had to do. He had to build and he had to fight. He had to build and he had to fight. Because surprise, surprise, Nehemiah shows up the scene and says, guess what guys, I'm gonna rebuild the wall and not everybody was happy about it. In fact, even some of the Israelites weren't happy about it because you'll notice this, in life, people don't like change. But you know who really doesn't like change? Your enemies. There's three different nations that were coming against Nehemiah that were not happy that they were gonna rebuild the wall because if they could rebuild the wall, they could rebuild an army, they could take the land back. And up until that point, they were incredibly vulnerable. Every time the crops could come in, the nations could come in, raid them and take them and walk off. On top of that though, here's the surprise part for Nehemiah. Not only were these three nations against him, but there were two separate armies of people that should have been close to Nehemiah, that should have cared about the Israelites, that should have wanted what God to do to happen, yet they were also against Nehemiah. So what's interesting is Nehemiah is sitting there and there are five groups of people that normally would all hate each other, but they are coming together with the sole reason of hating Nehemiah. And Nehemiah actually, we, we see him develop a word for this where people who all don't like each other come together just to hate one person. He called it social media. Well, that's what happens. I gotta tell you, this is the point so many times where I see young Christians just decide to walk off because you're like, I'm so excited about God. I just got my new Bible. I got my grace t-shirt. Then all of a sudden your family goes, what are you doing? You're like, wait, what? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Your friends tells you, hey, you shouldn't be following after God. What are you doing? I, I remember having a young adult one time come to me that was so excited about God. He goes, I just, I need you to pray for me because I'm gonna go home during Thanksgiving. I'm gonna tell them about Christ. And then he came back the next week and I talked to him. I said, hey, how did Thanksgiving go? He goes, well, the good thing is not everybody fought each other. I was like, okay. He goes, the bad part was they all decided to team up against me. And it's amazing sometimes when you're doing what God has called you, the people that stand against you. But what we see happening in this story is we don't just have to build, we have to choose to fight because Nehemiah was great at getting the building started. In fact, he got half of the wall done. And when I say half the wall, I'm not talking about a small wall. It's over a mile in circumference. This is a massive wall. Up until that point, all of his enemies go, well, it's just talk, it's not gonna happen. It's been down for 141 years. There's no way Nehemiah is gonna rebuild it. Well, they get halfway done. The, the enemies realize it's serious. And so what do they do? They surround the city. The five armies come together. They surround the city and they say, hey, here's the deal, Nehemiah. If you continue to go on, we will attack you. And Nehemiah has a choice in that moment. Am I gonna continue on in what God has called me to do or am I gonna step back so that everyone likes me? And I think that we have that same choice. I think sometimes I hear people say, well, I just want everyone to like me. Cool, it's very easy to do. Don't stand for anything, don't do anything, and don't ask for anything. Everyone will like you, but God has asked us to do something more. God has called us to stand up for something better. And that's what Nehemiah is doing in this moment. And we see his response here in verse 15 out of chapter four. It says, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans, that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears and shields and bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried out their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had sword belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. And what would happen is if the trumpeters sound the alarm, they would all come together to fight at that point. See, everybody who was working also had a sword because they realized this, they have an enemy. 
And hear me, church, on this. We have an enemy. We do. We all have the same enemy. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. We talked about the fact that there is a spiritual warfare going on, and we have an enemy. His name is Satan. He doesn't want anything that is good or God to happen in our lives. And what he would love to do also is to make us think that our enemy is not him but another person. In fact, the moment we believe that our enemy is another person, he's already won. He wants us to tear down anything that God is doing. What Nehemiah does in that moment, he goes, okay, we have these enemies. They're trying to come against us. And so what do we have to do? We're gonna continue building because we have momentum there. They're not gonna stop us, but we're still going to defend and we're going to fight. And here's what I want you to see. What they did. Everyone who was building had someone behind them defending them. Which means this, if you are ever going to do anything good for God, if you're ever going to build anything for God, you need someone that has your back. We need a community around us. Guys, does God think marriage is good? Yes, yes. Some of you are like, uh, yes. God thinks marriage is good. Does that mean it's easy? No, not at all. Does that mean there's gonna be opposition? Absolutely, why? Because the enemy understands this. If he can take out your marriage, he can take out your family. So marriage is not easy, and so we have to work at it, and we've gotta work through it, and we've gotta have people on our side, and we've gotta walk with God through it, and when he takes us through the fight, when we get through that season, he goes, okay, you've learned from this, so I need to help you to help somebody else. Because we do, we need help. We're not supposed to do this on our own. I mean, think about it, though. Think about this for a second. When you're looking for marriage advice, are you looking for the couple that just got, just got off their honeymoon? No, they know nothing. He still thinks that's the way it's gonna be every night. What are you looking for? You're looking for the couple that's been married 30 years, that's been through it and still loves each other, right? You're looking for the couple that has the battle scars, but they've won. You're looking for the people that can come around you. Like we need other people in our lives that have gone ahead of us and are in the same season as us. We need other people to come around us. That's why we need community. Guys, we can't do this without community. And I'll just say this. I think so many times people go, oh, wow, he said it from stage. He must know how to save my marriage. No, I don't. In fact, if you you come and talk to me and say, how? I need you to save my marriage. I'm gonna tell you the same thing that I'm telling you right now. You need community. And if you've gone far enough through this, you need counseling. You need community and you need counseling. I have people go, hey, I don't want community and we're not gonna go to counseling. You can do it. No, I can't. No, I can't. I would not be up here without community and counseling. I would not be standing here without counseling. In fact, I'll I'll tell this to you, young married couples. The sooner you get community, the less likely you'll need counseling. Because there's always opposition to our marriage. And even when there is an opposition, it finds us, doesn't it? I mean, think about it, guys. Even in marriage, how easily it is to start an argument. I, I, two weeks ago, my wife and I, we were coming back from South Florida. We were four hours into the trip, and I decided to open up an energy, energy drink, which apparently was the wrong thing to do. And I opened the energy drink, and my wife went, oh! she goes, you open a can louder than any human on earth. I was like, you're, you're right, because I know this because you know every human on earth. <laughs> and there was a moment in there. There was a moment in there. And I'll, I'll tell you this, after 16 years of marriage, I understood that silence is better than stupidity. So I just stopped talking. I was like, she probably is hungry. We haven't had water. We just need to move forward. 
But guys, that's life. Anything that is good will have opposition. If you want to raise your kids in a godly household, guess what? The culture and the world has opposition. The enemy is going to have opposition. If you want to live out a purpose for your life that God has given you, there will be opposition in it. And you need other people and you need God. We need to be ready to fight because we know that we have an enemy. We know that we have somebody that's going to come against us and derail us in this life. We need help. See, as Christians, I think for some reason, when we start to follow after God, we think we just get to pick a legacy. Look, as Christians, we don't get to pick a legacy, we get to fight for one. We get to choose what we want to fight for, but we have to fight for it. We have to choose to go after it. We have to be ready to fight for it. It's not that we're picking a fight. Let me say it this way. God's people shouldn't pick a fight, but we shouldn't lose one either. We're not looking to pick a fight with culture. We're not looking to pick a fight with the world, but we shouldn't lose one either because God says, here's the deal. Any fight that you go up against the enemy with, what you need is you need me and you need others. And it doesn't mean there's not gonna be a fight. There's not, doesn't mean there's not gonna be a downtime, but it does mean we will get through it and get through on the end. There will be a victory that takes place. But only if we're okay to bring other people along. See, what's incredible is Nehemiah and and this bout of incredible leadership, they rebuild the entire wall in 43 days. 43 days. Been down for 141 years. Nehemiah walks in. They build the wall in 43 days. Here's what would have been so easy for Nehemiah to do. To stand up on that wall and go, I'm pretty awesome. You all should name your kids after me. Right? I mean, it'd be easy. We finished it in 43 days. He could have gone, you know what? This is great. I asked for the king for 12 years off. We're done in 43 days. We'll build my summer home. And I just get to take some time off. But what does Nehemiah understand? He understands, we heard him pray it before. He understands the history of his people. He understands what they do over and over and over again. See, the Israelite people do the same thing over and over again. They start to follow after God. God blesses them. God brings them great things. They start to forget about God. They start to focus on themselves. God allows another nation to come in and take them over. And then they realize, oh wait, we need God. So they start to follow after God again. God frees them. God blesses them. They think it's all about them again. And they do the same thing over and over and over again. Sounds like my life. Because we do the same thing. And the easiest thing to do is when God has blessed you, when God has brought you through on the other side, is to start to think, it's about me. It's about me. Nehemiah, understanding this, goes, no, 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 we're not gonna redo the cycle right now. We're not gonna go back into that again. We're gonna reset our mind. We're gonna reset our focus. We're gonna reset our hearts back on God. So what he does is he calls everybody together to do two things, to worship and to repent to worship and to repent. See, if we wanna stay in the middle of what God is doing on a regular basis, we must worship and we must repent. I hear people say, well, why does God need so much worship? Is he just a needy God? No, look, the worship is for us. See, when we worship God, we're telling God who he is and how great he is to remind us of who he is. And we need to do this on a regular basis. Look, I'm a pastor, I've studied the Bible. I know how great God is, but on regular times in my life where I live like he's not that great. There are times in my life where I live in a way that God, my God is not that big. And I need to take time to worship God, to reset my mind on him, and then I need to repent. Why do I need to repent? Because repentance restores relationship, but not only that, it reminds me that I have not arrived yet. That there's still work to do. That there's still things that need to be done. 
And so I worship to remind myself of who God is. I repent to remind myself that I still need him. And then we see Nehemiah bring them together in chapter nine, verse one. It says this, says, on October 31st, the people assembled again. And this time they fasted and they dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. Six hour service. Some of you are nervous. We're not gonna do that. I've never gone to a service and gone, you know what? We should do that five more times. But here's what's crazy. Like they had to travel through the desert to get there. There's no chairs, there's no water, and they stand there for six hours and have a service. Why? Because for 141 years, they had not heard the word of God read aloud. For 141 years, they had not worshiped God out loud. They go, guys, we gotta get back to what matters the most. We've gotta get our heart and we've gotta get our mind right. So we need to spend these next six hours reminding ourselves of who God is and what has happened before. Because here's the other side of this. I just gotta say this. Look, we look to the past to see the sins of the past, not only of us, but of our family, so we don't repeat them again. I hear people say all the time, I'm not gonna be like my parents. But if you don't figure out, figure out what your parents did, you will be exactly like them. So they're looking back, they're going, we're not gonna be like the generations before us. We're gonna do this differently. And what's incredible is after the six hour service, the men go, that wasn't enough. And all the men get together and say, we're gonna do some more worship, which is what normally happens after worship service. The men are like, man, I wanna sing some more. Why? Because they go, you know what? We've been doing a bad job. We haven't been leading our families in the right way. We haven't been leading uh, the people around us in the right way. We need to come back together. We need to remind ourselves of who God is so that we can do what we are called to do. So for six hours, they worship. After that, the men come together and, and they just were excited about what was God has done, but they wanted to make sure that they went forward in the way that God wanted them to do it. Because here's what they knew, as tough as those 43 days were, if they were gonna leave a legacy with their lives, it's gonna take much more. There's gonna be more planning, there's gonna be more praying, there's gonna be more building, there's gonna be more fighting. There's gonna be more time of worship and repentance to bring it home. See, because I think so many times God calls us to something. And I, and I know this, especially with the, the younger generation, you more than any other generation want to make a difference with your life. You wanna do something big with your life. You believe God has called you to something big. And the fun part is hearing that calling. The hard part is living it out. Because it's so easy to start doing what God has called us to do. And then the fights come in and the, and the people come against you and you feel like not everything's going your way and you don't rise up at the level you think you should and things don't happen the way you think you should. And so it's easy to let go of that and just go after the world because it's simpler. Look, if God's put it on your heart, it's our job to hold on to it. Look, legacy is about... It's about more than a, a momentary decision. It's, about a, it's more than a momentary choice in your life. It's about making the right choice over and over again as we follow after God. Not perfect choices, but it's choosing to do what God has called us to do over a lifetime because a legacy matters. See, a legacy not only affects you, but affects those that are going to come after you. 
I was at a, a church and the, the two, the pastor and his wife were up there and they were kind of talking about their legacy and what God had done to, to grow the church. And they, they said, you know what, we're not up here alone. We've actually, we're standing on the shoulders of those that came before us. And they said, this is actually the third generation of, of people, of, of a family that decided to follow after God. So it's been three generations of following after God. And through those three generations, there are so many marriages that decide to follow after God. There's so many kids that decide to follow after God. There's so many ministries that were started, some inside the church and some outside the church, because over three generations, people decided to follow after God, even when it was tough. And when they were telling the story, you kind of expect to hear, I feel like just even inside of me, I expect to hear, well, it was kind of easy. They were always, always pastors. It was always easy through it. And then the, the lady, she tells her story of her great grandmother who at the age in her twenties, her husband had passed away and she had four kids. This was in the 1930s. She's in her twenties. She had four kids. Her husband had passed away and the church was not helping them. She had a choice. She had a choice in that moment to believe that all Christians are that way, all churches are that way, that's the way that God is going to be, or to go, I know who my God is, and I'm gonna find a church that believes in my God. And that's what she did. She found the right church that cared for her, found the right church that cared for her kids and loved on her kids so that she could move forward and provide for her family while her kids grew up. Little did she know that two more generations for her are people would be standing on a stage saying that she started that. See, I'm a second generation. My, my dad actually became a Christian before his parents did. He helped lead them to Christ. And so I'm the second generation of what it looks like to follow after God. And really it, it's on my shoulders. And I go, man, if I make the right choices, what I want for the future, what I want for my sons, I want them to be better husbands. I want them to be better fathers. I want them to be better leaders. But the question that I've got to ask myself is this, in this moment, is the decision that I'm making leading to something that just brings me momentary happiness or is it leading to a legacy that follows God? Because it's easy to chase happiness. It's easy just to chase what's right in front of us. In fact, I'll say it this way. Children just want an adventure. Adults fight for a legacy. I'm not saying adventure is bad but at some point you have to fight. At some point you have to choose, I'm gonna do what is difficult and follow after God or do what is easy and go the way that I want to. See, the world may offer you many things. God says, I offer you a legacy. God says, I offer you something more. God says, I offer you something that lasts. God says, I will be with you throughout the entire thing. See, God doesn't just say, hey, go try and do it on your own. He says, I wanna be with you, I wanna help you. In fact, what we tend to do, even as Christians, even as a pastor, is I, I still try to go after it on my own and I fail and I go after it on my own and I fail and finally I go, oh wait, I need God. And I realize he's always there with me. And I understand this and, and hear me church on this. If you're in this room, if you're watching online at any of our campuses and you think you have gone too far for God to give you a legacy, you're wrong. If you think you've messed up too much for God to give you a legacy, you are absolutely wrong. In fact, the reason you probably believe that is you're around religious people. Because what religious people like to say is, I'm good, you're bad, and there's no way you can come up to me. See, the difference is the gospel is drastically different. The gospel says this, you're bad, I'm worse, but that's okay, because Jesus. Because Jesus. Because Jesus always makes up the difference from where we are to where he is. 
And no matter where we are right now, God says, I don't care about your past, I care about your future. I don't care about the decisions you made before, I care about the decisions that you will make. And I wanna give you something better. See, legacy is not based off one decision, but it does start with one. Our legacy starts with giving our lives to Christ and deciding to do what he's called us to do and to rely on him. So maybe for some of you in this room, that, that's, that's the first step for you. The first step for you to start a legacy with God is to give your life to him, is to go, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I only need you. So if that's you, what I wanna do is just in a moment, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you can say quietly right where you're at and start that relationship with him. So if we could across all campuses online and in this room, if we could bow our heads and close our eyes. If you wanna start that relationship with God, if you wanna commit your life to him, I'm gonna say a prayer out loud that you can say quietly right where you're at and do that. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. God, I believe in your son, Jesus, that he lived that he died, and that he rose again. God, today, I'm committing my life to you. God, today, I'm asking for your legacy, for your second chance. God, please use me in ways I never thought were possible. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, that is the best decision that you will ever make. And what we would love to do is help you with some next steps. So I'm asking you right now across all campuses for the campus pastor to come up and close out the service and give us some next steps. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.